South American football show. The Copa Libertadores is back. We have had two rounds of football. We have defined our quarter finalists. We're going to be talking about the games. Um, and I'm delighted to say this week I am joined firstly by Tom Robinson, Mr. Argentina, Mr. Copa America champion. How do you feel, Tom? Yeah, definitely. Um Still buzzing about the Argentina Copa America result, and um, I'm glad that I've got that because it's it's not been a great week for Argentinian clubs in the Libertadores. So I think I think we're probably going to have to rename this uh, the Brazilian football show rather than the uh, Libertadores show. But uh, yeah, all good, and looking forward to discussing this uh, interesting round of fixtures. Ah, yeah, but there's not just Brazilians, Tom. It's not just Brazilians. There's also a Paraguayan, maybe two. Probably not, but at least one Paraguayan. So I'm delighted to say we're joined as well by Ralph Hanna, who's a big focus on Paraguayan football, knows loads about South American football. So Ralph, welcome back. Hi, Simon. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, we we don't have quite as many representatives as Brazil, but we do have as many as Argentina, I think, in the next round with Olympia doing the business. Absolutely. Well, we're going to find out what went wrong for, for Argentina. Finally, some bad news for Argentina after all this Copa America uh, chat. So I'm delighted to bring some bad news to Tom. Uh, talking about bad news, Tom, <laughs> let's let's start with uh, Boca Juniors against Atletico Minero, probably the game that had the most headlines this week. Uh, Tom, what happened? Why is everyone talking about this game? Minero, Boca, no goals? What's, what's all the drama? <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously Boca always a- attracts a lot of attention, but um, it's certainly not for the, the the events on the pitch, shall we say. Two nil all draws and, and then a well a, a pretty dramatic penalty shootout. But it was it was certainly more about the controversy of well, some questionable VAR decisions, which we'll get on to, but also a bit of a a bit of a good old fashioned Libertadores scrap at the end with, you know, Marcus Rocco picking up a fire extinguisher and punching security guards and, you know, it all kicking off basically. I think um Briaco was running around with an iron bar. It's it's all the maybe stereotypical things that you kind of expect from a high stakes Libertadores match with a with a decent dose of controversy thrown in there. So yeah, that's obviously what's taken the headlines. But um, I think generally, if we kind of look at the match, it's um, I, I was expecting Minero to to comfortably beat Boca, even though. Boca is such a big name in this competition. Um, you know, they've got a very depleted squad. They've, you know, they've not really had a run up to it. They've coming into this uh, fixture cold. Tevez has left, Andrade has left. The new com- uh, the new signings don't really fill you with much confidence. Um, you know, you've got two young guys at fullback who haven't really got much experience. So the fact that Boca probably can feel, well, I'll, I'll let you guys be the judge of whether they've, should be rightly or wrongly feeling aggrieved, but the fact that it came down to a penalty shootout and they had um, a VAR decision rule out a goal in each game, they're definitely thinking they're they're taking the um, moral victory there. Um, I, I guess you could could call it, um, even if it did end up with them camped outside a Belo Horizonte police station overnight while eight of their players were were giving statements. Um, so I mean. I guess I guess we could probably start with the uh, the, the first um, of the of the controversial decisions. Um, basically, in the, in the first game, uh, a cross came in. It looked like a pretty standard, albeit poor, headed clearance by um, the Minero defender, and then Gonzalez won won the header and again making the the 
Rever looked pretty pretty weak in the in the challenge and, and headed in. But then the ref gave it. He went to the monitor and and it looked like he gave it for a, a push in the back um, by Briasco. Um, I mean, one of those ones that I think when you watch it in slow mo, it makes it lot look a lot worse. But in real time, you, there really doesn't seem to have been that much of a push. Um, you know, personally, I wouldn't want to see my centre backs eased off the ball so easily. I mean, f- for me, contact doesn't necessarily mean that it's a foul. Um, you're kind of expected to, you know, deal with a little bit of that. So, for me, out of the two Boca um, VAR decisions, that was the one that I think they should feel most aggrieved about because uh, the one in the second game looked. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it was a very marginal call again because uh, a ball came in, uh, Gonzalez involved again. He, he sort of went to try and get on the end of it and the goalkeeper Everson came out, spilled it and then Wygant, the young right back, managed to sort of get the ball into the back of the net. But it got pulled back because um, Gonzalez was fractionally offside when the first ball came in and he obviously challenged the goalkeeper even though he didn't actually touch him. So I suppose in... You know, if you're looking at it from a referee point of view, does that goalkeeper make that same decision if he's not put under pressure by that guy? Yes, it's super harsh because it's, you know, maybe a, a kneecap offside or, or something like that. One of those ones that I yeah don't really like as an offside, but you can maybe if, you know, in the in the VAR world, you know, he's got that micro infraction of, of being offside and, and then, you know, probably you can you can maybe give uh, the refs a bit of um bit of slack on that one albeit again it's not one that i particularly like i mean simon did what did you make of of both those decisions am i being uh, kind to bocker or kind on the referees what do you think i'm the referee do i have to get involved um, <laughs> no for me look i you know they Probably wrong decisions, marginal, marginal wrong decisions. Um, it's you know, I, for me the the remarkable thing is the 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 almost you know like half of Argentina has suddenly decided that this is a conspiracy and you know the the, the whole world is against Boca and once again Comnebol are cheating to help the Brazilians um, when we also hear that the. Comnebol are helping the Argentines to beat the. It doesn't make any sense. So for me, the the like the decisions are probably both wrong, um, but they're not so wrong as to prove some mad plot against Boca Juniors. To see Raquel may go in the press and say, "Look, we've won two games and we lost. What's going on? This is they're cheating. They're so happy." <laughs> <laughs> so for me, like when when I heard a lot of the the backlash because I wasn't watching that particular game live, I was like, "This has got to be like the referees kicked into the back of the Boca Juniors net or something." <laughs> and you see it and it's like, "No, that's just a really poor South American refereeing decision. We get, we get them every week. Um, so I think they're probably both incorrect decisions, but uh, they're not so incorrect as to justify a lot of the, the madness that's happened since would be my position on this, I think. Yeah, yeah I think, I think I'd, I'd share that as well, that in this second decision in particular, I didn't, you know, it's like one of those marginal calls. So maybe, you know, the reaction from Boca after the game is totally out of proportion. But then I can see that the injustice they feel comes 
comes from that on top of the first leg. And also, if you think of the style Boca have played under Russo, I mean, they qualified from the group only scoring six goals in six games. I think only Cerro scored less goals and, and got through. So they need these fine margins if they were ever going to get through this tie. You know, the the balance of these decisions had to go in their favour and they must have felt they'd done their job a bit to what Tom was pointing to, that they managed to keep one of the highest scoring teams in the competition in Mineiro, you know, not have them score a goal over 120, uh, 180 minutes. They must have been kind of feeling, you know, we've we've pretty much done our bit and it's the referees that have left uh, led us down on these fine calls. So that might be why they had such that such a reaction after the game. But I did think, you know, just isolating that that VAR decision in the second leg, it, it wasn't an awful one, especially not, we've just come off the back of international football and we had in the Copa America, we had some, I think it was Colombia that were complaining. We had Uruguay in the, the World Cup qualifiers against Paraguay complaining about much worse decisions, in my opinion. So I think it might be on, you know, adding up those two, those two decisions from first and second leg and then also just the, that fine margin, you know, they really needed that to have a chance of getting through this tie, Boca. Yeah, the cumulative effect of those two, I think, is definitely um, what uh, what led to that. And and I mean, they even still had a chance in the penalties at the end. There, it was quite a um, well, it wasn't the best penalty shootout, or I mean, it was quite entertaining, but probably for the wrong reasons. You know, you had Hulge hitting the post early on, um, Rocco scoring, and and you know. If, if a few of those penalties had been a little bit better, I mean, Vija's penalty was right at Everson. That was awful. And especially when Hjordan slipped on the turf and it bobbled up, it was like, you know, it just felt like, oh, maybe after all this controversy, Boca might still get away with it. But that that Izquierdos run-up, oh my God, it was, it was kind of like Simone Zaza, but over a much, much longer distance. And he absolutely skied it. And I thought it was quite nice um, that having saved a couple of uh, uh, penalties, Everson steps up for the fifth penalty there and, uh, and put it in the absolute top corner. I thought that was, um, after quite a dour two games, it was nice to see a goalkeeper um scoring scoring the winner effectively so yeah that that was that was a good um, aspect and and it does also mean as well that that's two consecutive years that Kuka has got the better of Russo um because obviously his Santos side put them out in the semi-finals last year um and yeah he's he's becoming a bit of a um, bogeyman for 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 Boca really so Boca now they can focus on the league in Argentina but they, I think they're going to have to isolate. Um, there's been a big old controversy a, a, about that as well in the, in the last few days with um, lots of talk of and conspiracy theories about um, the the presidents Tinelli and, and Lamens, um, who are ex San Lorenzo um, owners and board members and um, presidents there being involved in in trying to screw Boca out of uh, of having to play the reserves against uh, their beloved San Lorenzo so Boca feeling that injustice even after the Libertadores has finished and yeah it looks like they're going to have to play the play the kids for their next two two games so not uh, a happy time in the blue and gold side of Buenos Aires right now yeah, I mean, it, it might, it's got to be difficult when you're a fan of one of the biggest teams on the continent with infinite resources, 
<laughs> and all of the footballing authorities are desperate to prevent you from playing all of the big games because the last thing football authorities want is the most popular teams on television in the in the key games. It's not what they want. They want to do everything to prevent that. So you have to feel for Boca, absolutely. Um, <laughs> talking about teams that you have to feel for, uh, Ralph. Um, what about uh, you know Cerro Porteño Fluminense? Obviously, we have the second leg coming up, um, but there was some more VAR drama in this one as well, Ralph. Yeah, I was I was naming some of those those bad VAR decisions just now, but I saved this one for now because I think this has been the worst VAR decision I've I've seen anywhere, which was in Cerro Porteño against uh, Fluminense in the first leg. Um, they scored. Bocelli had a really good chance with a header, which was well saved. And about five minutes later, he he gets a ball into the net, turns it in. And it's interesting because actually the the assistant referee on the field flags for offside. Um, but you know the the referee let the play run so he could score. Then saw the offside flag, called it offside, but had the VAR check just in case. And VAR managed to draw a line showing that uh, the player was was marginally offside, uh, Bosselli. But what they'd done is somehow they they totally forgotten to draw the line from the last defender, who was a, a fullback that on the near side of the screen that hadn't pushed up. So he was actually playing everybody on side by about four or five yards, and and they just totally missed it. And actually, Chikiase, the coach, in his press conference said that you know. On our phones, we were getting the the messages to show that it was onside while they were still making the wrong VAR decision. So we just couldn't understand how they'd managed to take so long and still mess this up. Um, <clears throat> it was, of course, you know, a huge a huge point of contention. But at the time, it was nil nil. So I think Cerro went into halftime, you know, still hoping they they had a chance. But then Fluminense came out and, and made the best of the the second half and, and got a two goal advantage. Um, I don't know, maybe because it was the first leg we didn't see the kind of reaction that, that Boca had against Mineiro post game. There was a lot of complaints, but, but, you know, no kind of chasing the referees out the, out the country or anything like that. Um, but that's, I think that's really cost Cerro because it came at such a moment, you know, with it being nil nil, um, they were not the best team. They they just were having a good patch of play and, and they'd made it count or they thought they'd made it count. Um, but I think now, you know, two goals, uh, a two-goal deficit and to go to Brazil is going to be insurmountable for, for Serra in the second leg, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I think that was probably the worst VAR decision yet <laughs> in terms of I, we've had VAR for how many years and that may be the worst one I've ever seen. Uh, and, and also they released the footage of the VAR officials looking at the video and they're kind of, you, you can see it on the screen behind them and you go, look, look, look at that. Look, look down, look down, you know, and then they kind of, they go, okay, yeah, no, no, he's, he's offside. He's offside. He's like, it's like a horror movie when, you know, the audience can see the killer behind you (laughs) and the protagonist has no idea. It's basically like that. Yeah. I mean, everybody can see it's, it's on the screen there and they're just looking at the wrong (laughs) angle with all those angles that they have to at their disposal yeah and and you can kind of he goes no you can see him telling the referee no no no, okay uh, yeah correct decision and then there's a pause and you can see them just looking at the screen and you've got to think at least two or three of those guys are going 
shit. <laughs> can, can we get him back on the phone? Let's just pretend that didn't happen. Um, yeah, that was a, a tough one <laughs> to take, undoubtedly. Uh, Tom, let's look at the next game. Barcelona, Vélez. So Vélez took a lead uh, to to Ecuador, but Barcelona came back. What were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I thought this was always going to be a really interesting and, and closely fought tie. And I mean, obviously, shame to see Vélez go out because I thought they'd, they've generally been one of the better Argentinian teams. They've, they came through a tough group as well. Um, but yeah, this Barcelona side is, is looking really strong and, and could be a could be a dark horse to certainly get to the semi-finals, maybe even the final. Um, first leg, a nice one nil um, win. It was. Um, Really nice goal from Lucero, actually. He was kind of this glancing header as he was sort of backpedalling. I think quite a underrated kind of finish there to, to be able to get that power and direction on the header. And and there was, to be honest, there was very few other chances in that first game. Um, I definitely think Vélez was suffering from the fact that Almada and Francisco Ortega um, are, weren't with them and as they're over in Japan in the Olympics. Um, and also they hadn't, like all the Argentinian sides, um, hadn't, hadn't had any league games to, to get them up to speed. You can see I'm putting in the uh, <laughs> the excuses already for why Argentina have had such a mare um, in these games. But um, I think at that stage, you know, a 1-0 win for Vélez in the first leg at home, you know, good good to have the advantage. But Barcelona um, won't be too ups, you know, weren't too upset of, of knowing that they, you know, just had to get on top um in that second leg at home and, and they always thought they had the chance. Um, so yeah, the, in the, in the second game, a big three, one win for Barcelona, um, really good counter-attacking goal from Adonis Preciado. Um, re- the way that they broke so quickly, um, and a nice hold up play from Garces as well. Um, I just thought that showed everything that Barcelona have, have been about. You know, they they know when to attack. They they get forward in numbers and get forward quickly and, and use the ball very well. Um, but then Vélez hit back. Um, another good header from Lucero. And at that stage, you know, you've, Vélez have got the away goal there. They're, they're ahead in the tie. And, and you kind of think um, that, you know, they're, they're doing pretty well here. Um, but then it all kind of went wrong in... in um, Later in the second half, um, Barcelona got a penalty. Um, I thought it was quite a soft one, if I'm honest. But you could just see the naivety of um, the young defender, Nazareno Romero, only his second appearance, 21-year-old defender. He just got himself on the wrong side of um, Gabriel Cortez. Um, and then Cortez picked him up, picked himself up and, and sent the keeper the wrong way for the penalty. Um, I did enjoy the fact that he's got El Gabi on the, on the back of his shirt. I thought that was a, a, a nice little touch from Cortez, a player that we've admired for, for many years, um, albeit maybe one who, who maybe hasn't kicked on like we thought he might, but always going to be good at, at this level. Um, and then even though Velez are still in it at the moment, you just felt, the momentum had, had shifted to to Barcelona and um, Jonathan Palasa came on. I think he'd just be, come on for Cortez as a, a sub and and a really nice finish. But again, it was really highly avoidable from Vélez's point of view. There was just, you know, a hopeful lump forward and, and two defenders got in a muddle and kind of crashed into each other. Really good finish from Palasa from the edge of the area. But yeah, Vélez, I think, will, will feel that they could have 
probably seen this game out a little bit better. And and I definitely think if Almada had been there, they would have a little bit more about them going forward as well. So credit to Barcelona. Um, they've um, they've done really well. Um, but yeah, sh- shame for Velez. And, and I think despite performances on the pitch going very well for them lately, there's there's quite a lot of, I think that's covering over a lot of the cracks about how the clubs run at the moment. There's a lot of um, sort of murmurings behind the scenes from various fans about how, how the club's being run. And and yeah, maybe we might see things sort of flare up a little bit um, now that they're out of the Libertadores. But certainly, um, certainly uh, I'm looking forward to see Barcelona and it's, and it's, absolutely great that we've got um you know not just brazilians i mean in in the, the quarterfinals there and 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 good to have some representation from from around south america with barcelona yeah barcelona a team that always as you say plays very you know aggressive assertive counter-attacking high pressing football um played a lot of pace a lot of creativity it's a team i enjoy watching so i'm happy to see them in the next round uh, Ralph, what are your what are your thoughts on on Barcelona? Uh, are you happy to see them there? What do you think? Do you think they can continue to have an impact in the next round of the competition? Yeah, de- definitely happy to see them there. Like you guys have mentioned, they do play a nice brand of football, and and similar to actually a lot of teams we see in Ecuador at the moment, they they do still manage to kind of control possession. Um, despite sometimes playing against against bigger sides, they do try and impose themselves. Um, so I think that's that's nice to see. I mean, I think if I'm right, they'd play the winner of the Cerro Fluminense tie. Um, Cerro actually lost to them last year in the qualifiers, in the Libertadores qualifiers. They got beaten four um, nil. So that could be interesting if if by some miracle Cerro went through, because then they'd have a little revenge mission but otherwise we you know we'd see them up against a, a brazilian side they've just knocked out an argentinian side so so you never know um but they're yeah they're fun to watch i, I definitely enjoy watching barcelona and just a quick comment on on Vélez. talking about that game management i think i was just recapping the subs they took off uh, brisuela and manquello when they were at one all both had a yellow card in the first half. So you almost had that feeling they felt they were through and were trying to protect some of their players in terms of um, in terms of bookings. And then, of course, we get the Cortes penalty and, and everything goes wrong. So, you know, definitely some some pointers there for, for coaching and game management because it really was in their hands um, until midway through the second half. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think if they go through and play, even if it's Fluminense, you know, they won't fear anyone. The way that Barcelona play, they, they never uh, they never seem like the underdogs. Sometimes things come undone, but they'll definitely go toe-to-toe with anyone in the Libertadores. So that should be an interesting game. Another interesting game, although perhaps not as attacking, but, you know, they got the job done. Let's, uh, let's look at another Paraguayan success. Uh, Internacional Olimpia. Uh, Olympia eventually make it through on penalties. Um, Ralph, you have a Paraguayan team in the quarterfinal. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, once again, Olympia have kind of have done it, which they, they've been doing, you know, time and again in different generations. They they often don't have the best team on paper, but they manage to dig in and, and pull out these results Some you know, somehow from somewhere. Um, I mean, in this particular tie, it was a repeat of the group stages 
where they'd lost 6-1 to Internacional in the in the group stages, then 1-0 in, in the home game, uh, which was, I think, the fifth or sixth game of the group. Uh, this time, the, the first leg was at home. Olympia ground out a 0-0 draw, but I think... They were playing against really a quite poor international side that had they'd rested a few players because they just had the Clásico um, before in Brazil. So they didn't come with a full strength side. They probably went back to Porto Alegre thinking, well, we're okay with, with nil-nil. We'll feel we can win the the home leg. Um, but then in, in the second leg, what we saw was a kind of inspired performance from Olympia's goalkeeper, Alfredo Aguilar, who's a 33-year-old. Uh, goalkeeper has never moved outside of Paraguay for whatever reason. Never quite made it to the national team. He's he's often in the squad, but he's he's rarely a starter. There's always been kind of somebody just ahead of him. Uh, it was Roberto Fernandez for a bit. Now it's Anthony Silva. But you know, really good goalkeeper on his day, and he made about three or four saves in the first half that that really kept them in it because Internacional for this game have brought back Tyson, they brought back uh, Thiago Gallardo. So, you know, they had a much, much more kind of crisp attacking uh, movement, I would say. You know, they were moving the ball much quicker than they did in the first leg and, and Olympia was struggling. Um, then in the, in the second half of that game, uh, Olympia made a, a change at halftime, which they, they kind of went to to more of 4-5-1, which I think served them better for most of the, the half, but they did give away a penalty during that game, uh, during that, that second half. And again, Aguilar was up to the task, making the the save a really good, you know, one-handed save. He's, he's kind of gone down low to his left, but kept his right hand uh, high and managed to, to push the ball out. And then from there, you, you kind of felt that Internacional had knocked at the door so much they didn't know what to do next. And, and towards the end of the game, Olympia were definitely playing for penalties. And, and I think, you know, they felt they felt they were kind of in the ascendancy in the way they frustrated uh, Internacional. And sure it went. I mean, in, in 1989, Olympia beat Internacional on penalties in Porto Alegre. And you know history repeated itself here it, to the to the point that it it was five four on penalties in 1989 with uh, with the Brazilians missing their fourth penalty the, the exact same thing happened this time um, and they have a great penalty taker in terms of the fifth the fifth penalty was Delis Gonzalez Delis Gonzalez is a player that you know for Paraguay for the national team he scored big penalties in shootouts against Brazil in the Copa America. I remember, I think he scored a really important one against Argentina in a World Cup qualifier as well. So that was the guy I think they wanted on that on that final penalty and, and he delivered and, and on they go. And, you know, they, they're one of these teams that they're not brilliant, but they, they do seem to dig deep and find that, that spirit in those big games. Yeah, with uh, Eden Ilsen, who missed the penalty in, in normal time, when he scored in the shootout, he wasn't like happy or relieved that he'd scored the, the shootout penalty. He was like punching the floor, like, why didn't I do that in normal time? Then we wouldn't even be here. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it, was an, uh, it was an impressive uh, performance from Olympia, um, you know, backs against the wall performance, um, but they got the job done and, you know, against a strong team away in Brazil, a huge moment for them. So, congratulations. Uh, talking about 1989, who won the Libertadores in 1989? 
Atletico Nacional. I had to get a mention for a Colombian team in. That's as close as I'm going to get to a Colombian team. It's the only mention you'll get (laughs) in this podcast. But I was thinking as well, it just... That decision to get rid of uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez for Internacional just seems really silly now, doesn't it, Simon? Yeah, well, you were calling him a bald forward, weren't you, a couple of weeks ago? I was playing devil's advocate, all right? Don't don't lump me in with that, all right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is a strange one. Um, you know, obviously Internacional were on top for most of this game, but they didn't, you know, penalty aside... And there was one, I think, uh, Tyson hit the post. They didn't have that many clear, clear chances. They had a lot of you know, attacking play, a lot of the ball. But they weren't a team, I don't know, they didn't quite cut open Olympia as, as much as perhaps they would have hoped to at home with the quality they have. But, you know, respect to Olympia, they got the, they got the job done. Uh, let's move on to uh, another team that very much got the job done. Uh, Tom, uh, Flamengo. Defensa Justicia, 4-1, was it as comfortable as it looks on paper? Uh, obviously, eh, Flamengo got the early goal, Defensa Justicia came back into it, uh, and then towards the end, Flamengo ran away. Is, is it one of those those games where the result perhaps flatters Flamengo, or were they always kind of uh, on the cards of getting a few uh, in this one? So yes and no, because certainly the scoreline, I think, does flatter Flamengo a little bit because they put a, a late flurry on when when the game was gone, you know, just to put a little bit of extra gloss on the result. Uh, but they they were well worth the victory and I, I thought they were they were comfortable for most of it, even if, you know, they were maybe at times it, the, the scoreline and the result was a little bit closer than, than maybe they'd like. But this defensive side were always going to be underdogs um, and having lost three or four of their key players as well, um, which I'm sure we'll get onto in a bit. Um, when we discuss River, uh, seeing as they've got two of their best ones, um, it meant that yeah, defence were always going to be up against it. And they did all right in that first game. Um, you know, 1-0 loss at home. Flamengo managing to get that goal through through Michael, deflected long-range uh, strike. Um, but again, like you look at the fence, uh, that goal was... Pretty avoidable. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Unsain, their their goalkeeper. He's kind of, I think he's mainly in there because he's good with his distribution. And this goal like came about because he uh, did a poor kick out and and immediately had defensor on on the back foot. So yeah, defensor going into the game one um, nil down um, Flamengo with the away goal. I think it was always going to be tough. And then with Rodrigo Kyle scoring a, a thumping header pretty early on it felt like it was only going to be one-way um, traffic. And, and the only reason why Defensa got back into the game was, you know, Flamengo were dominating, but they got a bit too cocky. Goalkeeper's lax clearance was just closed down by Loisa um, into into the empty net. Um, so suddenly Defensa were like, oh, wait a minute, maybe we can get back into this game. But then loads of um, Flamengo pr- uh, pressure came um, and De Rechieta, um, scored uh, did work well actually because the, the, there was initial volley off the post and he had to 
really control the header to um, make it go in because it was it was coming at quite a pace. So he could have quite easily um, missed that, and uh, and then Vitinho with two at the end just to just to put the game to bed. But I think you know we're always going to expect Flamengo to, to win. They've got so much firepower, and certainly Derasquieta was it was looking on song, and and they're they're going to be a tough team to, to beat. Uh, Defensor, you know. They've, they've had a tough route and the fact they've got out of the group stage, I think they can take as progress. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're never going to be one of the big Argentinian teams, but the fact that they're now getting to knockout stage of the Libertadores shows just how far they've come. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a couple of years ago, it's a team I'd never heard of. Uh, and now it's a team I expect to be in the Libertadores and expect to be doing well. I know what their style of play is kind of generally about. So, they have invaded my consciousness uh, in a good way. Congratulations. Uh, but no, definitely, definitely lots of positive news for Defensa Justicia, even if they didn't make it through this time. Uh, Ralph, Flamengo, are they amongst the favourites for you? Again, uh, things are looking pretty good. Obviously, a great squad. Uh, any, any concerns about Flamengo? Do you think that they're going to be there or thereabouts? Yeah, I think their only concern is that the next game they have or the next tie is against Olympia, who they've actually never beaten in the Libertadores. So that, that could be, you know, the, the thorn in their side. But otherwise, it's it's a very strong team kind of through the lines. And, and, and I mean, we see with, with all the Brazilian sides, I think, you know, we're seeing there's, there's been this gap developing economically over maybe the last four or five years and probably without you know without Boca or River it could have been huge dominance from from Brazilian sides for a while so um it's yes it, they're definitely in there you've got to think you know them along with uh, Mineiro Atletico Mineiro who've already talked about and and maybe somebody like Palmeiras uh, they're probably your your top 3 from from Brazil in this in this tournament yeah i think um with brazilian sides now if they if one of these big Brazilian teams doesn't get to the quarterfinal, semifinal, then it's probably down to the manager, probably down to the system because the, the quality is there, you know. Um, it's uh, interesting, interesting, interesting. Uh, but yeah, if, if, if Brazilian teams start playing to their potential and have uh, the same tactical level as some of the strongest sides across the continent, then they're going to be there or thereabouts. However, look, we've got a, we've got a, Paraguayan team we've got an Ecuadorian team maybe another Paraguayan team so all is not lost this CI Copa <laughs> this isn't just the Copa Copa Brasil still um, and we even have two Argentine teams playing each other uh, which brings us on to River Argentinos Argentinos a very creditable performance no Tom to, to get this far in the competition yeah 100% I think we all looked at them as the weakest of the Argentinian sides um albeit maybe not in the most uh, difficult group or but again one that I thought they would they would struggle to find the quality to to get ahead of um, their opponents in that group but yeah they did very well they came out of the blocks really quickly and um, yeah get into the knockouts for them again you can see that as a as a success and and they took river all the way um, but at least I have one Argentinian side to um, back and uh, and represent in the latter stages um and i think we all again it was one of those results where you thought river should always prevail um first game one all draw um you know a lot of 
a lot of players coming back from the Copa America without much rest. Um, and it was the, the speed of the game was quite affected by uh, quite a sort of waterlogged pitch. You know, it wasn't too bad, but it was slow and kind of saturated and, and meant the ball didn't zip around quite as much as you'd want. Um, but yeah, um, Suarez got a goal, Alche got the equaliser and and then nothing really happened in the second half. So it was all set up for quite a tight uh, move, but um, or t- tight second uh, second leg, to be honest. Um, but then we saw Gajalo switch to more of a 4-4-2 for the second leg. I think he'd seen the way Arkandinos play, decided to go a bit more direct um, and it paid off for him um, with new signing Brian Romero, who just loves to score in continental competition, getting um, getting two goals uh, to send River through. I mean, I think there's, I mean, maybe there's a discussion to be had as, you know, the fairness of, of River being able to poach um, defensive Justicia's best player and, and, and bring him into the side to replace Borre. Um, you know, in other competitions, you'd expect him to be cup-tied, but this is a Libertadores. Things work a little bit differently. Um, and yeah, took both of his goals really well. The first one is quite a route one uh, attack from River, which kind of showed that more direct um, style they went for in this in this leg. Um, and was a bit lucky that Quintana slipped over, but it was a really, really good long-range drive to finish it off. And then the second one... Um, the Suarez managed to get through and squared it to Romero, who again on the stretch just about turned it in. Um, so yeah, really impressive from the new signing, and I think he's he's going to fill the boots of Borre quite well. And they've, of course, they've also got Enzo Fernandez um, back at um, back at River after his time at Defensivo this year. So they've they've strengthened the squad quite nicely, I think. River, yeah, they've got a, a solid team. They know how they they're playing. They've got a great manager. So yeah, I think River. Certainly, they're going to give everyone a, a run for their money, and and um, you know if we saw them in the semis or, or even the final, if 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 they get get fortunate, then um, you know it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a massive surprise. So a good good result, um, and um, yeah, River march on. Yeah, I mean to bring uh, Palavecino, Julian Alvarez, and Enzo Fernandez off the bench is is pretty exciting. How do you think, or how has uh, Romero coming in for Borre changed the way they attack? Because Romero, for me, and feel free to correct me, is is more kind of a target man, a penalty area striker, uh, whereas Borre is very dynamic, pressing, lots of movement. Um, does do you think this is going to help? Uh, the the team adapt uh, evolve is this going to change the way that they play obviously they you know the likes of Julian Alvarez can play that kind of more dynamic role how do you think Romero is is changing River's attacking approach yeah I think he won't necessarily need to change their attack too much because he's he's going to be that main kind of focus point maybe a bit more than Borre was with Borre, Suarez and and uh, Alvarez there was so much interchanging and like you said so much great pressing from the front so much great movement to allow us others to come in we might see that maybe they're going to f- um, service Romero more and, and really direct more of those final touches towards him but because you've got some great support players there in in Suarez in even Carrascal had an all right game there um, you've got De La Cruz, lots of attacking players, Alvarez obviously as well. Um, so I think they might. It might mean they go a little bit more direct, and I think maybe we'll be seeing Romero 
on the end of the goals rather than everyone sort of sharing them out a bit. But, you know, Borre was one of the top scorers in the Copa de la Liga. So it's not like he wasn't contributing goals. Yes, he's Romero is not going to give you quite as much movement up front, but they've got so many players around him who can do that. So I don't think it's going to change things too much. I think it's a it's a really savvy signing, um, and I mean it's been a great start. But we'll see if he can if he can get anywhere near replicating what Borre has done for for River. Then then it will be uh, yeah it'll be a fantastic signing. Yeah, perhaps you have uh, Romero as kind of the focal point striker and then everyone else playing off him, whether they be attacking number 10s, which River have got a load of at the moment, or kind of more floating support strikers like Alvarez. Interesting. Uh, Ralph, what do you think of River? Are they are they one to watch for you in this competition still? Yeah, I think always a candidate with what they've done in the last few years and, and picking up on the Romero signing. I mean, Brian Romero has a great record in continental competitions i think he's he's does better in these competitions than he does in league football for whatever reason you know whether it's a big game player or it's having that kind of that style of striker you, you were talking about there you know somebody that you can sort of center the the team around in terms of attacking play have a, a focal point and and on the end of things, um, it's, it definitely reaped rewards for him with Defensa Justicia and now, you know, got off to a great start with River. And and in a way, it also shows us that, that River Plate have some of that tactical flexibility when when they need it. Because when this when this tie was drawn, it was probably one of the ones they, they least favoured, having to play a team that they know each other that's from their league, you know, because they were maybe expecting more of that that kind of tight game that we saw in the first leg, knowing that, that Argentinos and, and Gabi Milito would, would maybe know how to, to try and cancel them out better than other sides. So I think they'll be happy they got through this and, and definitely pleased with the, with the performance in the second leg. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Tom, well, let's look at the next one. We've got uh, Racing against uh, Sao Paulo. Uh, this was an interesting one. Um, Sao Paulo, perhaps a little bit of a surprise with their, their two new strikers uh, or their two striking options, uh, who really, for me, were kind of key to everything they did. Marquinhos uh, and Emiliano Rigioni. Uh, those, for me, were kind of perhaps the difference in this tie. What did you think of this one? Uh, Racing going out. Uh, what, what did you think of this game? Yeah, I think initially it w- wasn't necessarily one that caught the eye because they they played each other in the group stage and neither of those games were that interesting. You know, Racing kind of got the better of of the of the two in the in the group stages, but yeah, Sao Paulo coming up with a win when it mattered most and and I think for all the talk of how Racing have did well in the in the Copa de la Liga, getting to the final there and and having a better group stage than maybe we envisage. I think this was that limited racing side at the start of the tournament that we'd said isn't anything to shout about getting found out by a good but not not a brilliant um, Brazilian side. Um, I mean, it was it was close in the first leg. It was it was one all, a really uncharacteristic error from Arias to to allow Vitor Bueno to to score. Um, but then Enzo Copetti got a, a lovely um, equaliser just before half time, um, and there was even a huge miss from. Eugenio Mena as well, which I think had he scored that, we might have looked at a bit of a different tie. But as you rightly said, 
it was all about Rioni and Marquinhos um, coming in, really making an impact. So you've got to credit Crespo for for bringing those two guys in, especially when Marquinhos, who I think it was his first start, he's just 18 years old. So imagine what a huge ask that was to 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 make your your first competitive start for for a huge club like Sao Paulo when the stakes are, are so high. And he was. He was brilliant. Um, I was so impressed with him. You know, the, that first goal um, that they scored came from from a really, really good, um, you know, run in behind the defence. He really showed his pace there, hit the post and Rigoni was on, on hand to turn in the rebound. And then just after half time, he, um, yeah, he, uh, he, again, he got, got through nicely and, and just showed his composure to, to finish really well. Um and then laid on the assist for the the, the third goal that really, really killed off the game. Um, so yeah, really really impressive um, performance from him. Racing got one back, but it didn't really matter too much. And and yeah, Rigoni and and Benitez, two guys who who used to play for Independiente, sticking the knife in to to Racing. I'm sure they they will have enjoyed that victory. So yeah, Sao Paulo get through. Um, I. I don't think we're necessarily going to see them bother the the, the, the latter stages of, of this tournament, but you know, they've got a good manager. They've got a good solid squad, some exciting youngsters coming through clearly. Um, they, they could potentially surprise um, some teams and I don't think anyone's really going to look forward to, to playing against them. So yeah, still um, I, I'm yet to see them come up against a really, really tough proposition, which I think we will see in the quarterfinals. Um, and I think that'll be the true making of, of what this Sao Paulo side could potentially go on to achieve. Are they just going to be there making up the numbers or are they, are they really here for, for the long haul to, to make a real dent in this competition? Yeah, Ralph, when we were talking about Brazilian teams, we mentioned Minero, we mentioned Palmeiras, we mentioned Flamengo. We didn't mention Sao Paulo. Uh, should we be mentioning Sao Paulo? Obviously, they're through to the quarterfinals. Um, they've made it look fairly comfortable so far. Perhaps they haven't faced the strongest of opposition. And obviously, bringing in some of these young guys, maybe they're not as as seasoned or proven as some of the guys at Flamengo, for example. Um, but they do obviously have a lot of experience there, for example, in defence, Arboleda, Miranda. What do you think of Sao Paulo uh, and their chances? Yeah, they're, they're a bit of an enigma, I think. Um, the reason maybe we didn't mention them at first is because they're, they're sort of in in or around the relegation zone in, in the Brasileirao at the moment. So they hadn't been playing brilliantly um, in this sort of off-season since since qualifying from the group. Um, but then they put in this this kind of performance and actually they've I think they picked up a, a win recently in, in the league, which had been a, a while coming. So, you know, you, you kind of don't know what to make of them and there's definitely enough enough talent there. Um, like we're talking about the, the young players that he brought in, like Marquinhos, um, he was playing. He was using uh, a Paraguayan a bit in the in the group games against Racing. I remember he played Antonio Galliano, who's a who's a Paraguayan that that joined also a youngster. But he's he's kind of got enough talent at his disposal, Crespo, to kind of solve the problems that he's he's obviously been having in the league. So it's you know it's it's hard to count out. But then I wouldn't. I don't think I put them up there with your with your Flamengo, Atletico Mineiro and Palmeiras, just because, you know, based on league form, you, you kind of think maybe those those teams have got a bit 
a bit more to them. Um, the only thing that I suppose they do really have on their side also is Crespo himself uh, having having gone the distance in the in a continental competition last season. So maybe you know there's there's something he's got there that that he can start to put to use in these in these later stages of the Libertadores. We will have to see. Well, a team that we always seem to expect to be there or thereabouts. Um, a team that often we we kind of expect to be a little bit workmanlike. Uh, at times, they've surprised us and stepped things up. Um, they got the job done professionally against uh, in, in the last game as well. They got the job done professionally. Let me say that again. I, I forgot who I'm talking about. Uh, Catolica, all these fucking Chilean teams. All right. <clears throat> Well, absolutely. Uh, and the other team, the final game from the from this round, uh, includes a Brazilian team who we always expect to be there or thereabouts. At times, they're workmanlike, professional, a little bit dirty at times. They get the job done, usually. Um, but they they professional job, I would say, against Universidad Católica. Uh, Tom, how did you see this one? Is this is this a workman-like, no-nonsense Palmeiras? Is this a slightly more fun, expressive Palmeiras? Uh, what kind of Palmeiras are we looking at uh, as they go into the quarterfinal? Yeah, I think they, they have the potential to be a bit more fun than, than maybe they're currently playing. Uh, they kind of remind me a little bit of the Brazil national team in, in so much as they're very impressive. They control the game very well. It felt a pretty straightforward win for them in, in, in both games, albeit they didn't really have to get out of third gear to, to beat a Katolika side that I'm not going to say they laid over for, uh, you know, rolled over for them, but you know, they, they didn't put up the biggest fight. I don't think, um, so yeah, you kind of you've got this really impressive team, but sometimes they're the last ones you end up discussing because you know there's not always uh, the same amount of interest. But to be fair, especially in that second leg, they had so many chances. Uh, Davison had some really really big chances, um, and it was just the uh, the keeper Perez who was who was making just a, a load of good saves from him from from Wesley as well. Um, but yeah, they finally got their breakthrough through Marcus Rocha. Um, shot off the post kind of fell to him um, don't know where the marking was really um, Catolica were all over the place um, and he didn't really strike it that cleanly um, so it's almost one of those ones that because the shot doesn't come at you as quickly as you're expecting you almost dive past it so I kind of going to cut the keeper a bit of slack there because he had a he had a really good game I think he was expecting a cleaner contact and and maybe he would have been in line with it when <laughs> when it was actually there, but kind of yeah, bobbled past him. So yeah, solid win. And and also you've got to think, this is a side that had Gabriel Veron, Dudu, Lucas Lima, Patrick de Paula, Vinha all on the bench for this game. And also not to mention Borca, Luis Adriano, Ronnie. Like this is a team stacked with talent and in terms of depth, um there's not too many that can compete with them. And, and I think, okay, yeah, this was just getting the job done, getting through to the next round. And, and, you know, now they're going to come up with a big, big task against Sao Paulo, but this is definitely a side that should be, you know, making the semifinals kind of their minimum goal. I think for the Libertadores there, they've got a very good manager again, maybe one that doesn't want to let them off the leash too much, but um, yeah, it's a good Palmeiras side, and and I think hopefully we'll we'll not see them 
go as pragmatic as as they did in 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 last last year's um run to the to the to the title or when they kind of yeah were a bit too worried about the result maybe now they've got that win um they can they can let loose a little bit more and 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 try and go for it in style who knows i've, I've got my fingers crossed yeah wow that's that substitute bench is ridiculous willian as well uh wow that is that is insane um yeah i i literally think that their substitute bench could get to the live stories semi-final um ralph any any palmyra substitutes you wouldn't take in the olympia starting 11 <laughs> yeah i think i think they'd all walk into that that team pretty much i mean one thing is that they're on a really good run in the the league as well i think they've won eight in all competitions they've kept five clean sheets in their last six i was looking at so i mean it's just such a strong team across the board um but it was funny that they ended up you know winning these two these two legs 1-0, having been the side that scored the most goals in the group stages, they managed 20 goals in the group stages. So it does, you know, it does seem to be quite similar to last year when we saw them get into this really kind of pragmatic and uh, an attritional style in the in the knockout stages. So, But I'll share Tom's optimism that hopefully we get something a bit more exciting this year. Yeah, lots and lots of talent. So, Guys, we're going to come and look at the quarterfinals of Lipsidorius in a moment and give our quick predictions. No time for thinking, just instinctive. Um, but very quickly, before we do, uh, the Copa Sudamericana is also now coming up to the quarterfinal stage. So let's go through the quarterfinals and see who we think are, are our favourites, who do we think is going to win, what's kind of been their story to get this far. So first of all, well, Tom, Rosario Central. So they qualify with a win against Deportivo Táchira. How are Rosario Central doing in the Argentine League? What are they like? Uh, they're playing against Bragantino of Brazil, which is obviously you know, a pretty strong team. They got to this quarterfinal with a win over Independiente del Valle. So they're no, you know they're good. Uh, Tom, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, I would say that I would fully expect Bragantino to, to win this game. Rosario Central have done well to get this far. They've been putting a load of faith in their kids um, in the last two um, coppers. Um, as to how they're doing in the in the local league, they've the league's only just started, so they've they've had one game. They lost to uh, Godoy Cruz, which isn't a great start, but um, I think that all that was because they were focusing on the Sudamericana. So, um, generally speaking, it is a side that I really like. Um, I mentioned, yeah, Gili Gonzalez putting faith in a lot of the uh, the kids there, and and they've got some really really good young players um, coming through. Um, one of the one of my favourite players for them is uh, uh, Vijagra, really nice uh, defensive midfielder. Um, Luciano Ferreira, really a um, promising 19-year-old who's who's just making his first way in, into the squad. And, and Gaston Avila, who they've got on loan from Boca, really good centre-back as well. So lots of... I think the, the most intriguing thing about this Rosario side is, um, is just those young players coming through. But yeah, like I said... The, uh, I've been really impressed with Bragantino, the way they've they've shot up through the uh, Brazilian uh, leagues and divisions, and obviously they've got that backing behind them. And with obviously a couple of players over at the at the Olympics, I think uh, Claudinho, the big one, which will be a, a miss if he's not back in time. But you know, Artur, um, 
Ramirez. Um, they've even signed Prashedes from from Internacional, um, which is a is a real big statement. Um, taking one of the best young players from that international international side um, and and bringing him across to to Bragantino. Um, so I think yeah, they're a side that are going places, and I I would fully expect them to to get through against uh, Rosario Central. Okay, Ralph, any any objections to that? I mean, Bragantino for me look look very interesting. Do you, do you think Rosario could do it? Well, based on what I saw of Rosario in the group stages when they couldn't beat Paraguay's 12 de Octubre, um, I think it's, it's fair to go with Bragantino in this one. Um, I think, I mean, again, with the Brazilian sides in Sudamericana, it's maybe slightly different to Libertadores, that they're not always fully focused on this competition. I don't think they hold it in the same regard. But, but that said, I think Bragantino would have enough in this one. Okay, and what about uh, LDU Quito? So this is a team that, that just knocked out Gremio. Incredible. They, they beat them away in Brazil. Huge result for LDU Quito. They're going to be going up against Atletico Paranaense, another Brazilian side uh, who were very, very impressive. Uh, they destroyed America de Cali uh, 4-1. Uh, Cali were unable to register some of their players, uh, which was you know kind of their excuse, but it was a very comprehensive win. So these are kind of two strong teams in good form. Uh, LDU, again, very dynamic team. Uh, Ralph, I'll start with you. What do you think of this tie? Paranaense, LDU, Quito, who who do you fancy? Yeah, this is a nice one. This will, uh, I also kind of like how, how Liga de Quito are playing as well. So um, I think maybe with the with the altitude on their side, they might be able to to squeeze through this one. But I think it'll be a very, very well-balanced tie for sure. Yeah, I think that's going to be a really good game. Tom, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, Paranense, El Diu, Quito. Yeah, I, I would say Quito would be my favourites as well. They were in a tough group in the Libertadores and, and you know, if, if a few things had gone gone their way, they, they could have easily made it out of that group. So, yeah, I, I would um, I would expect them to win. But, um, you know, I don't think we can read maybe too much into their victory over Gremio because, uh, you know, Gremio are having a shocking time in the league at the moment. They've they've lost their manager. He's gone gone to Flamengo now as well. So um, yeah, it wasn't the same Gremio side that we saw in the in the group stages where they they smashed their way through. Um, so yeah, I, I think that maybe it's just something to, to to bear in mind without going too too much hype on on LDU Quito. But I would still have them as as narrow favourites. Okay, well we'll come we'll come to the all Uruguay clash in a second, but we've also got Libertad against Santos. I, I would say two teams, big teams who aren't in the best of form. Uh, Libertad got through on away goals uh, against Junior. Uh, Junior won the second leg one nil, but they they needed two uh, because they <laughs> they lost four three at home, uh, and I think all of the goals were pretty much terrible defensive mistakes. Um, Whereas Santos made it through narrowly against Independiente, uh, thanks to a goal from Caio Giorgio, a nice little deft finish in that one. Uh, Ralph, am I being a bit harsh on Libertad, or were they not that good against the slightly depleted junior side? Well, I think they, surprisingly in a way, they weren't that good in the first leg, or I thought the way they played that first leg was really high risks and, and you know, trying to go toe-to-toe. But they were maybe lucky that, that Junior were doing the same thing and then had a couple of those awful defensive mistakes that you you mentioned. And that meant they, they scored the four away goals. In this second leg, I mean, they 
Libertad, you know, were happy to play without the ball. They were try, you know, they were waiting to see what Junior would try and do and and come on to them. And actually, Junior were very cautious themselves because Libertad have such good uh, attacking talent for in terms of in terms of counter attacking. You know, they have Tito Villalba, they have the seventeen year old Julio Enciso, who's very quick, very dangerous. Um, they brought off the bench Lorenzo Melgarejo, who, who they've just picked up from Racing. Um, and then they had, you know, someone like Chelo Diaz, who they've also signed, was just kind of uh, marshalling the, the midfield and, and holding there. So they do have a very strong team, Levitad. Um, but what we've always seen with the coach, Daniel Garnero, is he's always struggled in continental competitions when he has had a good squad with, with Olympia. So that, you know, I think in terms of it could be a tactical battle with, with Santos. Um, but on paper, Libertad have a, have a good enough side to kind of go head to head with them, but I'm not sure if they'll be able to win out tactically over two legs. Yeah, it should be, it should be interesting. Um, yeah, you're right, actually. I mean, I suppose to be honest, uh, junior's goal came quite late and it, and it always looked as though Libertad probably had that one in the bag, uh, from, for most of the second half, Junior needing two goals and, and not producing too much until that excellent uh, strike from uh, Gonzalez. Uh, Tom, what about Santos? Uh, I, they weren't very good in this year's Libertadores. Um, are they? Are they? Do you, do you reckon they could win the Sudamericana? Uh, I don't think so. I think there's some just too many better sides than them. Uh, you know, th- this is a game that I think is fairly fifty-fifty. Could go either way. I'm looking forward to seeing. You know, the battle of the 17-year-olds, Kaiki Melo versus Julio Enciso. I think that'll be a, a reason to watch this game. But no, I think, um, you know, I think certainly Bragantino, I would have as stronger than stronger than them and probably LDU Quito as well. So it's a very, um, you know, Jekyll and Hyde kind of Santos side. So, um, yeah, I'm not holding up too much um, hopes for them. But, you know, they've got some interesting players there at least. Okay, Tom, I'll stay with you because we have one final uh, game in the quarterfinal, which will be Peñarol against Sporting Cristal. Sporting Cristal uh, progressed against Arsenal Sarandi of Argentina, uh, 1-1 in the second leg to to go through, whereas Peñarol faced uh, Nacional in a huge game. What went down in that one, Tom? Oh, what di- what didn't go down? <laughs> it was um, you know, it was over the two legs. It was a yeah, really fascinating watch. I mean, the the second leg ended with a with a really late injury time goal for Nacional. I think the eleventh minute of injury time, uh, Guzman Coruja from Brian Acampo assist, um, and a couple of well, three red cards in in injury time. So just what you'd expect from the Uruguayan Clasico there, but I think. Um, the better side is is probably just about scraped through. Um, Penuel have been on really good form in in this competition, and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of their striker Agustin Alvarez Martinez, El Canario. Um, he's he's been in great form. I think he's got eight goals in nine or ten games for for them, and he's really exciting um, young striker to to keep an eye on. So I think he will give them. The edge, along with um, Facundo Torres, who we, was so impressive in the Copa America, his his sort of cameos off the bench for Uruguay were one of the better aspects of of their competition. Um, and from I've just not been impressed at all by Sporting Cristal; they've been so wasteful in the Libertadores. And if you're edging Arsenal de Serandi, 
who have been awful in Argentina for a while now, um, then yeah, I, I I really don't have too much hope for them. So I'm I'm hoping Peñarol can can finally have a bit of continental success because it's been a pretty miserable decade for them ever since uh, the uh, 2011 Libertadores uh, run. It's you know they've they've basically never made it out of the group stage since then um, of the Libertadores. So it's it's good for them to to have a bit of a run. And um, yeah, I like them as um, a side that could certainly get to the get to the semis and you know maybe even a bit further okay perfect sounds good all right well here it comes the moment you've been waiting for where we find out who's going to win the quarterfinals of the Copa Libertadores. uh so guys first of all Fluminense Cerro uh Ralph are Cerro going to come back or do you expect Fluminense to make it through the game's going to be played on Tuesday so this probably will come out before this game uh, so we can we can we can wait and find out the result um but Ralph Fluminense Cerro do you expect Fluminense to get the job done at home yeah unfortunately although I'd like Cerro to to make it I think I think Fluminense have uh, have got too much in the bank with that two goal lead okay cool Tom any objections to that Fluminense going through no objections at all. Um, hopefully, they'll have a better VAR team in this time. Okay, cool. Well, maybe they'll get some VAR help. Maybe they'll overcompensate and, and give them a couple of goals. We'll see. Okay, so quarterfinals. Sao Paulo, Palmeiras, 10th of August, my brother's birthday. Who's going to win? Ralph, Flamengo, uh, Palmeiras or Sao Paulo? Palmeiras. Palmeiras. Okay, cool. Tom, Palmeiras, Sao Paulo? Palmeiras. They, they're going to get through the, that banner that, that flies that says porks is is going to be uh, fluttering in in the winds as they as they get a victory there okay cool yeah i think i think palmeiras even a palmeiras second 11 <laughs> would give them a decent game uh, but as well as the quality they have i just think they just manage games so well felipe Melo at the back yeah getting stuck in uh yeah i think palmeiras probably are the favorites for that one here we go ralph here's your chance chance to dream olympia against flamengo Huge game, huge tie. Can Olympia defend their way for 180 minutes? Will they try and attack? What's going to happen in this one? Um, I'm actually going to say I think Olympia are going to squeeze through it just because there's no reason they should, but that was the same against Inter. And and Flamengo have that strange history of never managing to beat them in Libertadores, six games and counting. So I think Olympia probably on penalties again. Okay, okay, that's that's going to be an exciting one. Or maybe not an exciting... Well, an exciting one. Maybe not a load of attacking football from Olympia. Um, but they, they've, they've done it before. Tom, do you share Ralph's optimism? Well, I'm not sure I, I share it, but I, I certainly hope it happens. But uh, I'm going to play it safe and boring and say Flamengo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. I'm, I'm, I've been convinced. I'm going Olympia. We're, we're, I'm on Team Olympia. We can do it. Let's go. Um, all right, nice. Well, what about this one, Tom? River Minero. I like Minero. Savarino, Hulk, I think they're good. Um, obviously, failing to score uh, in, the, in the previous game against Boca, perhaps a slight concern, conceding potentially. Let's not, go, let's not open that one again, but potentially conceding a couple of goals in that, those ties as well, although they were ruled out. But I like Minero. Uh, Tom, who's going to win, River or Minero? Yeah, I'm I'm quite conflicted here. I thought Atletico would have done better against Boca, which is making me lean towards River and and because, you know, I'm 
representing my Argentinian boys, there part of me thinks I should go for it. But having said that, I'm going to U-turn it back and go back to Atletico Mineiro because I think that they won't be coming up as against quite a stubborn defence. And um, I think Nacho Fernandez is through tears streaming down his face going to put out his former side. Okay, nice. Yeah, I just think Savarino on the counter, Hulk, would be interesting. Uh, Ralph, what do you think? Uh, River Plate or Atletico Mineiro? Similar conflicts to Tom here. I think it's a really hard one to call. Um, But I do think, and and I'm also thinking back to that Palmeiras River last year, I think maybe the fact that, that River aren't going to be as strong defensively as Boca were, and then looking at Atletico Mineiro are very strong defensively. They've, they've also got ex-Boca defender Junior Alonso in there, the Paraguayan. Um, I think Atletico Mineiro will have just enough to get through. Okay, well, we can talk about the crisis in Argentine football with no Argentines in the semi-final. Um, and finally, we've said Fluminense are going to beat Cerro. So, Fluminense or Barcelona, Tom? Who are you going for? Barcelona. I think they're going to go all the way to the final. <laughs> oh, okay. Nice. Nice. A victory for football. Um, Ralph, what about you? Uh, Fluminense or Barcelona? Yeah, I, I, I don't think Barcelona would get all the way to the final, but I think they've got a great chance here against, you know, maybe probably the, the weakest Brazilian side left in the competition. So I, I think Barcelona could definitely do a job there. Okay, well, we may have. Ralph believes we're going to have two non-Brazilians in the semi-final. There we go. And and nobody seems to think we'll have any Argentines. So the times are changing. Uh, Paraguay is the new number two in South America. Congratulations. Uh, well, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, guys, thank you for listening. Um, we will be back uh, for the for the quarterfinals. It's been a bit of a crazy few weeks, but, we'll, but I'm hoping we can do a show rounding up the first leg. If not, we'll be there to round up the, the ties and look ahead and, and see how correct we were with our wonderful predictions. Uh, so thanks, Tom. Thanks, Ralph. Tom, anything you'd like to plug, point people towards the wonderful Golasso podcast, perhaps? Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, if you check me out on Twitter at TomRobo89, um, then yeah, have a look at those Golasso Argentino podcasts celebrating the Argentina victory in the Copa America. That was an enjoyable one to record. And you know, we've got a few bits on World Football Index of some young Argentinians to watch. And uh, there'll also be uh, a piece coming out on Y Scout relatively soon um, about uh, the aforementioned Agustin Alvarez Martinez. So, yeah, check that out too. Perfect. And Ralph, anything you'd like to point people towards or say before we, we finish up today? Sure. I mean, you can find me on Twitter at Paraguay Ralph, and that's where I kind of post some of the stuff I'm doing, which includes Guarani Vision podcast, which is a podcast on Paraguayan football in English. So going into a bit more detail on some of those Olympia and Cerro Porteño, amongst other things. And then also um, I'm also always posting links to my blog where I do a lot of previews on, on local league games and some of these uh, international games as well. Perfect. So you can follow me on Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF. I think I might be doing a preview of the quarterfinals. So if you want to hear, uh, so uh, read some written work, uh, you can check that out. Also, guys, go and follow Footvay English. They do amazing work. They've just had their one year anniversary. It's really helped me get into Venezuelan football and understand 
uh, a growing league, uh, loads of young players over there. So give them a little plug as well because um, they've done one year of really excellent work and go give them a follow. Tell them, tell them I sent you. Not, you don't have to do that. doesn't matter. But go check them out. Give them a follow. Uh, and guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us this week. We shall be back again soon uh, with the Copa Libertadores continuing. Um, so thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>